All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton here with you to dig deeper into the Psalms. This week, our third and final week in the Songs of Ascent, those Psalms that the pilgrims would sing on their way to Jerusalem for the Great Feast. Two of these are from David. So we will have that special thing of going back to even the beginnings of when David brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem, possibly even psalms that he sang while he was dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant as it came into Jerusalem. But first we start with Psalm 130. As we go through these songs of ascent, many of them have been the idea of being cheerful, and the results of God bringing about great blessings for his people. This one we use in our confession and absolution. So Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As you see, we use this quite often, especially verses 3 and 4 in our understanding of confession and absolution. If you, O Lord, should keep a record of sins, as the NIV says it, O Lord, who could stand? Why do we have this? The very beginning of the psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is a psalm of penitence. This is a psalm of sorrow, but it is also a psalm of hope because we do have forgiveness from the Lord. That is why we fear him. That is why our soul waits for him more than watchmen for the morning. As the watchmen along the walls would patrol all night for invading armies or raiders or anything else that would molest the people who were inside the walls any amount of attack and their <clears throat> their time would be done. Their shift would be over at the dawn. So when day broke and the people could see for themselves what was going on outside the city, then their time was over. They waited for that moment so that they were off duty, that they could enjoy the great things that God has given so the psalm says, verse 7 and 8, O Israel, hope, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Not just some redemption, not just possible redemption, but plentiful. It is there in abundance. Going back to Psalm 23 again, my cup runneth over. That kind of idea here. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
bringing us back again to the point of what the feasts were there to do and promote in the first place. They were to be signs and symbols and shadows of the coming of Christ, his redemption, his forgiveness of all sins, his redemption of Israel, all Israel, not just those physically descended from Jacob, but also all of those who have been engrafted by the faith that is the same as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, so that all the church may rejoice in the gift of salvation. We move to Psalm 131, and we see, as David is writing this one, some interesting features here, but most especially the humility of the shepherd king. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So far, Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart, which belongs to a man after your own heart, is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. I understand that there are things that I will never understand. I know that there are things greater than I am. I know there are people that are greater than I am. And I may be the man after your own heart. I may be the king of your people, the leader and ruler of your people. But still, I keep myself as a weaned child, as a toddler having just been weaned from nursing, that is where he keeps himself. That whole childlike faith, that childlike trust in God, that is where David puts himself. That is where the pilgrims put themselves as they were coming into Jerusalem, that everything comes from God. And therefore, he is to be prayed to, he is to be honored, he is to be blessed above and revered above all things, as the first commandment taught us. And therefore, we can hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, knowing that God has never allowed one of his promises to fall short but he has always given them to us. Not necessarily in the way we wanted, but has always been plentiful in the fulfillment of his promises. All right, as we move quickly, it seems like, over other weeks, into Psalm 132. In between the two psalms this week that are written by David, we have one coming later that invokes David as the example, invokes God to provide blessings because of David. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, 
a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, we found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body will sit on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. So far, Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, whether it was the hardships of being hunted by Saul as one who was considered an enemy of the state, a challenger to the rightful king, even though God had gotten rid of and abandoned Saul to his own devices and anointed David to be the king. Even then, he says, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David, despite all of his exploits, despite all of the great victories that God had given him in war, the main thing he wanted was one place for God to dwell. Not necessarily that God needs a house built by human hands, but that there be one place for the people to come together to worship God. That there be one central location that God may be blessed and that people who want to say, where is our God, may go to that place. And we know from David's life that because of his victories, because of his bloodshed, in wars, God did not allow him to build that house, but gave a promise that he would build David a house, that David's lineage would go on forever, ruling over the people of Israel. Many people have tried even today with the reinstatement of the nation of Israel in 1948 to bring about a Davidic king. This is why the Jews are so big into genealogy. They want to try to bring back King David and his line to fulfill that promise that God has let slide for thousands of years. But has God let that slide? No. We can say that for certainty as Christians because we know that the Son of David that sits on the throne forever is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God incarnate, descended from David according to the flesh, born of the Holy, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Jews 
don't want Jesus. The Jews want to set up another David, another warrior king to provide over things. And unfortunately, there are Christians who desire the same thing. And as we get into Revelation at the beginning of the year next year, we'll talk about some of that where there are people who interpret Revelation to include the fact that we must begin the animal sacrifices again. Because once again, the sacrifice of Jesus was not enough. But we'll get into that as we get into Revelation. But here we focus on the promise. The promise that even though David's sons did not keep his covenant, that God still allowed David's line to go on. He continued the procession of father to son to son to son to son all the way down to the Babylonian captivity because of David. Whether the king was good or bad, God kept his promise because he made the promise to David. And because God had promised that he would clothe his people with joy, would bring about the salvation of all mankind through the line of David. And if he allowed that line to stop, then his promise would be bogus. He will have lied and would no longer be worthy to be called God. But God has made a sure oath from which he will not turn back. And that oath is fulfilled in the true son of David, in Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. And now we move from there into Psalm 133, the other psalm in this week of David. And this is one of those I have always seen as ironic as coming from David. Because his children had no lack of problems. So he says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How good it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is fitting that we have this psalm this week because it is on Sunday in the Old Testament reading. We have Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel. That this Sunday is also when the church celebrates James of Jerusalem the brother of our Lord. That we see again and again what happens when brothers do not dwell in unity. But again, going just to David, his sons did not dwell in unity. His son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, which caused his brother Absalom to kill him. Absalom rises up against David himself, to become king and gets killed. When David is close to death, Adonijah, the next son in line, 
the heir apparent to the throne, decides to take over, and he is put down because it is not Adonijah through whom all the blessings of of God to David would go, but to Solomon. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. But how horrible it is when they are not united. It is the exact opposite of the blessing. Instead of life forevermore, it is strife forevermore. It is pain and suffering because of the brothers not dwelling in unity. It doesn't matter whether you're Cain and Abel, if you're David's sons, or if you are you and your brothers and sisters and all your neighbors, if there is not unity, life is tougher. There are problems, and those are problems we need to overcome. But it is only overcome through the understanding of God forgiving sins. And you and I being called by God to be priests in this world, to continue to give that gift of forgiveness, that gift of forgiveness that brings the blessing life forevermore. All right, we move into Psalm 134, the last of the songs of ascent. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. As we end the string of the 15 songs of ascent, it is truly good, right, and salutary, to borrow the language of the liturgy, to have it be one solely talking about blessing the Lord. And by blessing the Lord, you will be blessed. Not because what you do affects your salvation. That how great your blessing of God is affects his blessing of you and how great and powerful it is. But it is the blessing of God that strengthens your blessing of God. It's not that we cause it. It's because he causes it in us. Everything we do is a response to what he has done for us. So that as the final psalm in the Songs of Ascent, it is truly good, right, and salutary that we talk about blessing the Lord as we approach the holy place, that we lift up our hands in praise to the God who made heaven and earth, and even more importantly, made you remade you in the waters of baptism, giving you that blessing from Psalm 133, life forevermore. All right, that's it for this week and our digging deeper into the Psalms. We finally made it through the Songs of Ascent. Now, as we reach that apex, we get to several Psalms that talk about the celebration of God's steadfast love. So that is what we are going to do over the next few weeks is talking about Psalm 135, 137, 138 next week, and then spending a few weeks in Psalm 136, the continual refrain through that psalm, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
How do we know this? He shows it to us through all of human history. And we'll see that over the next few weeks. But until then, this is Pastor Dugman thanking you for being here, digging deeper into the songs of ascent with me so that they may strengthen you, that you may bless the Lord in all things as you make your pilgrimage through this life, wrestling with the theologies around you. Amen.